What we're dealing with here is a total lack of respect for the law. You're listening to Done By Law. Brought to you by the Federation of Community Legal Centres. You're tuning in to Done By Law on 3CR on 855 AM. Before we start tonight's program, we'd like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation as the traditional and rightful custodians of the land we're broadcasting from. We pay our respects to elders and acknowledge that this land was stolen and never ceded, always was and always will be Aboriginal land. So it's 6pm on the 16th of August and we're your hosts, Indy and Jeremy. Jeremy, tell us a little bit about what we'll be talking about tonight and who we'll be hearing from. Thanks, Indy. Um, Tonight we're going to be talking about young people and the criminal justice system, and in particular we're going to be talking about mandatory sentencing. So um, that refers to either sentences of imprisonment or sentences which require a suspension of a licence and and the impacts that they have on young people in particular. And I'm very excited to be joined by our two guests tonight. We've got Tim. Uh, Tim Hutton is the Managing Criminal Lawyer at Youth Law. Tim recently moved into this role, having previously been in the role of outreach lawyer at Youth Law, and prior to that, Tim worked as a criminal lawyer at Victoria Legal Aid. Also joining us is Angus. Angus Woodward is the Program Manager of the Criminal Law and Youth Law Clinics at the West Justice Community Legal Centre. He's an accredited criminal law specialist and has been working in criminal and youth law for over six years in the western suburbs of Melbourne. I guess to start off with, for our listeners, if you could tell us about the type of clients that you work with, Angus, and what kind of things you assist them with. Yeah, sure. So West Justice, we we support people that fall into our catchment, obviously. So those are people that live in Wyndham, uh, Maribyrnong or Hobson's Bay. Uh, We also, uh, my team, the youth team run a a clinic based out of the Sunshine Busy Cares Hub. So we support people in in, uh, Brimbank and Melton in that area as well. We in the youth team support anyone 10 to 25 years old, but our broader office, anyone's able to come in and access that of any age. And it's a pretty, yeah, it's a pretty diverse community in the West. We've we've got a lot of, uh, obviously, a lot of young people, um, a lot of people from cold backgrounds. There's, there's quite high levels of poverty. Um, and so, obviously, we support people that can't afford a private lawyer predominantly. Uh, well, certainly those would be the people that we'd, we'd take on their case and, and try and uh, represent them if the need arose uh, and, and generally assess them based on, you know, other vulnerabilities, things like mental health um, issues, people with drug or alcohol addiction or language barriers. You know, those are the people that we're going to prioritise in terms of who we support. And Tim, you're from a youth law, which is a youth-based organisation. Can you talk a little bit about not only what you do in your particular role, but um, what your organisation tries to achieve um, with working with young people? Yeah, thanks, Indy. So similar to Angus when he was talking about his youth team, which is we work with young people, hence youth law, and we define young people as under 25. Um, we're, we're also a community legal centre, but we don't really have catchments in the same way as 
um, some other community legal centres. So we do tend to help out young people all over Victoria. The way we try to do our work is that we, we're targeting young people under 25, but in particular, we're targeting a particular type of cohort, those who we think are particularly vulnerable or disadvantaged. And so we look at things like those with a history of or a history of or experiencing things like homelessness, uh, mental illness, uh, substance addiction, uh, family violence, those sorts of things. And the way we we do our work and we, we get our referrals is, is generally through integrated models with service providers. So, for example, in my particular role, um, I'm the managing lawyer of the crime team and our, our main uh, referral partner is a youth service called Front Yard. Uh, Front Yard is a, is a youth service primarily uh, providing housing services. They're based in Melbourne CBD. They provide some other services as well, but, but primarily housing. And we have a afternoon clinic Tuesdays and Thursday afternoons at Front Yard. So the idea is we actually go and sit on site there and um, work alongside the, the workers at that service and try to meet young people in a place that they're familiar with and they're comfortable with. And so that's how we tend to target that very vulnerable cohort. And I guess what we try to achieve uh, on a more broader level is that working with young people of this nature very vulnerable, very disadvantaged. Uh, coming into um, the criminal justice system, often, you know, for the first time or with minimal prior stuff like that, usually their involvement is very much linked to their circumstances. Someone who's, who's experiencing the type of things I've just uh, just mentioned, often their life is in such chaos that it can contribute to them acting out. And we find that if we can help them uh, in their journey of rehabilitation and and getting services involved, whether it's housing, mental health, AOD services, getting those things involved and getting them on a different trajectory, uh, that can make a huge difference to their life. Ross House has community meeting rooms available for hire at subsidised rates. Perfect for small meetings, student study groups, Zoom conferencing and seminars. Facilities include free Wi-Fi, display screens for presentations, projector and sound system and a Zoom conferencing system. HEPA filter units have been placed in every meeting room. You can book and pay via their website, rosshouse.org.au or contact reception during office hours on 9650-1599. Ross House is a 3CR supporter. I guess, you know, to have a specific youth-based legal centre, to have a specific youth-based legal program within a legal centre, um, it suggests that there are some differences in how the law views and deals with the young people in the criminal justice system. Um, and it also sounds like a lot of your work involves a lot of referrals. Can you speak to that? Yeah, Jeremy. So just on that point of how the law sees and deals with young people, the the law, particularly in the criminal justice space, has a very strong focus on rehabilitation um, and that's considered a primary sentencing objective in determining how to deal with young people who are in the criminal justice system. So I guess, like I said before, that um, is not only really important for us in trying to turn their life around but also in trying to put them in a position where um, where the court, for example, will see that... Um, efforts at rehabilitation are being made and and give the court um, comfort 
and, and an assurance that perhaps they, they can bring a therapeutic approach to their, um, their sentencing outcome uh, and the punishment that the person will receive in court. Otherwise, when, when working with young people as opposed to adults, so I, I previously worked at Victoria Legal Aid for a little while in a couple of different offices, and that was similar to uh, West Justice, all ages. Um, so some young people, some older people, but at youth law, it's just young people. And, and there is there is a lot of um, differences when, when you're working with young people. Um, one key difference I find is that young people who, um, who perhaps maybe are not well educated or perhaps don't have many support people around them really do struggle just to, just to navigate systems and understand what's likely to happen or, or what their rights are. And so it's really important um, not only to advocate for them, but just to, to educate young people around not just what they've maybe come to you for, the specific legal issue they've come to you for, but educate them around other things. And um, like you said, referrals, um, referring them to other services that, that might be able to help them as well, because education and um, informing young people of their rights is really important um, to, I suppose, ensuring that uh, they have less, less uh, negative involvement with uh, authorities or the criminal justice system going forward. Yeah, I think Tim's covered it really, really well. Like a couple of things I'd add, just, you know, the starting point is that you can't expect a young person, um, particularly a child, to access legal services in the same way that you can an adult. And that's something that's been obvious to us at West Justice for a long time. Um, and we've tried in some pretty creative ways, I think, to to respond to that and to become, be more accessible. Um, similarly to how Tim described um, providing outreach to, to Front Yard, we've, we've um, piloted some time ago now and expanded, it's expanded across the state, um, a school lawyer program where we have lawyers based in schools uh, where they're accessible to, to kids to get confidential legal advice. And we're running legal education sessions to, to young people and to children so that they familiarise themselves with the laws that are relevant to them. And it's not such a, a this kind of image of, uh, you know, when I see a lawyer, it's a it's a it's an old white man in a suit in the city, surrounded by big grey buildings. Um, it's something that's much more accessible than that, and it's that's not as intimidating, and that they're more likely to to reach out for support to when they need it. The, we've equally set up a a new clinic at the moment where we're we're looking to outreach to out of home care um, and resi care units. Where, again, where some of the most vulnerable young people are, and where they really struggle to, to access services and supports. So that's, I think, one thing that's particularly unique is that the system that it's the way it's structured probably still expects kids to be able to access those services. And they're not always, it's not always front of mind that, that they're just, they're just not going to access it in the same way. And, and the courts are limit, limited in that way as well in, in being quite, you know, distant, the, the children's court goes some way to trying to address those, I suppose, barriers and, and be more accessible to kids with with lawyers, you know, sitting down at the bar table um, when they address the court. Um, it's it's less formal, but it's still quite a long way for some kids to, to, to go to that space and feel comfortable and safe and, you know, inclined to want to, want to access it as easily as adults. So the other point I'd probably add is I think young people, and I mean, in the six or whatever years I've been doing it, um, young people have some pretty unique issues uh, and, and legal issues, that is, that, that um, yeah, I'm continually surprised at some of the things that they 
I suppose sometimes get criminalised for that that is is a bit mind boggling. Um, and they're perhaps some of the most vulnerable young people are also, or, or young people can be amongst some of the most vulnerable people in the community in terms of being exploited. If you look at things like, um, you know, we we provide an employment law service, and it's it's really common to see young people being underpaid, uh, being you know unfairly dismissed, treated really poorly in unsafe work environments where you know they they sort of just cop it because it's the first job maybe they're making some money um and uh again the, the system kind of expects them to to stand up to a boss or to stand up and, and exercise their rights in the same way that an adult would from every corner of the land womankind are Women on the Line, a current affairs program devoted to women's voices, covering a diversity of women's interests and hearing women's perspectives on current affairs. Erosion of human rights leads directly and inevitably to erosion of human security. We do not accept the denial of our rights because the right to have a say over our country is our life. Women on the Line. Tune in on Mondays at 8.30am and Wednesdays at 6am on 3CR Community Radio, 8.55am. And streaming live at 3cr.org.au. Yeah, the school programs and also um, youth lawyers going into outreach is such an important service, right? It allows young people to feel safe in accessing legal services and that is something that particularly if they feel marginalised already in their community or they feel unfairly targeted by um, police or by their bosses at work, this is a place where they feel like they can get access to legal services and understand what's going on and have a relationship with a lawyer. So, yeah, I think that's really fantastic work. Could I jump Let's, in there, Indy? Yeah, um, of course. Just, just on that point, I, I should have said this before, but Obviously, um, one of the key benefits, as Angus has touched on, in in the way we we run our integrated service is is around perhaps young people who don't know the system that well might be a little bit intimidated or a little bit unsure about um, the, the anyone who's involved in the system, including criminal justice lawyers. And so, I guess, like you're saying, seeing them when we've got these clinics set up at services that they're comfortable and feel safe in, seeing them in, in that environment can, I guess, hopefully help them to, to trust us and to feel comfortable that we're on their side and that we're working for them. Um, and also seeing them alongside their worker. So often what we'll do is we'll have a sit-down uh, initial chat with, with their ongoing housing worker and they'll introduce us as the lawyer. And I think that introduction and that, that sense of working as a team will just bolster, uh, I guess, the rapport that you can build and, and work in that way with, with the young people. And it also creates this environment that there are people working in the system for them. I think a lot of young people, when they get involved with the criminal justice system, feel like there's a lot of things working against them and having a youth lawyer who is well acquainted with their supports, knows their school, knows their life and some of the things that they're going through means that people are actually on their team and um, a lot of young people having exposure to these systems may not feel that. Let's move to the mandatory sentencing scheme now. Angus, can you talk a little bit about or what's your views on the mandatory um, sentencing scheme and do you have any sort of examples of how these laws can affect your clients? 
Yeah, sure. So, I mean, it's a pretty broad um, scheme when we talk about mandatory sentencing. You know, it applies in a whole range of areas, but I suppose specific to our practice, um, you know, we're talking about, as I understand it, circumstances where judges or magistrates are compelled to sentence a, a child or young person to a particular outcome, whether that's a, a particular time in, in custody, in prison, so a term of imprisonment, um, or it's a, you know, it's a license penalty, mandatory license disqualification, things like that for, for particular sentences that I suppose generally come with a level of community deterrence or for whatever reason there's been um, outcry about it and then legislation's been implemented to require um, the judges to not have any discretion in those situations. They, if they find the young person or the the accused person guilty of that offence, they're obliged to hand down that sentence, whether they agree with it or not. There was a recent case which was particularly on point in, in terms of mandatory sentences and the impact that it has uh, in the court of appeal in July that a lot of people and listeners will probably be aware of where the Court of Appeal made some comments that um, I think, yeah, particularly on point about mandatory sentences and the fact that it, it really gives them, takes away from, from what they were put there to do, which is to exercise discretion and, and deal with each case on its merits. Um, it, it doesn't allow them to do that. And there's some really good lines in, those, in that judgment, which talks to, I suppose, the f- frustration that they feel in those circumstances where, for example, They've got a young person who, in that case, I think it was an 18-year-old or someone who just turned 18 who was charged with, a, I think it was an aggravated carjacking or something of that nature. And so, you know, pretty serious offending, but it came with a mandatory three-year jail term and they were compelled to give that sentence, even though there are really compelling circumstances about why that was excessive. Uh, and so made the observations that they, you know, don't agree with mandatory sentences. And that was just one example of, of, of why. Uh, you know, now in our, in my experience, we we see it as well at a at a you know at a lower level where there's things like diversions come into play. So just for for the listeners that aren't aware, diversions where a circumstance where generally um, the young person or the child accepts responsibility for the offending, it, they uh, have to be eligible by virtue of the fact that they've not necessarily got a criminal record already or had a number of diversions. They accept responsibility and and the court and prosecution consent to a diversion. They can avoid a, a criminal record by participating in the diversion program. Um, and there'll be a number of conditions that they'll be required to do. Similarly, in mandatory sentencing, there's provisions in the in the in the law that basically say if if the offence that they're charged with has a mandatory sentence attached to it, including a license penalty, then they're not eligible for diversion. Um, and in my, you know, in my experience, that's resulted in some pretty um, unfair outcomes for, for young people and kids where, you know, it might be their first offence, it might be a driving matter, uh, and the offending comes with a mandatory licence loss. Um, they're then not eligible for a diversion when on, on every other front, um, they would really benefit from that scheme and, and getting an opportunity to accept responsibility and, and do some programs or, or you know, work with the diversion coordinator, but they're just not eligible. So that's that's a, a, a something that we see pretty regularly occur, and it can be very frustrating um, just to have that mandatory um, sentencing scheme undermine, you know, diversion, which is set up to focus on on rehabilitation and and not lumping young people and children with the stigma of a, of a record. 
If you or someone you care for is struggling with a mental illness or other disability and you need someone to talk to, you can call the Wellways Helpline. Wellways Helpline is a volunteer support and referral service that provides information to people experiencing mental health issues or other disabilities, as well as their family, friends and carers. We're here to talk if you are feeling socially isolated, seeking information about mental health or mental health services, or just need someone to talk to. As a peer-based service, everyone working at Wellways Helpline has a lived experience of mental health issues or disability. Wellways Helpline is a national service and operates Monday to Friday, 9am to 9pm, excluding public holidays. So if you're struggling yourself or are struggling to help someone else, please call Wellways Helpline on 1300 500. That's 1300 500. Wellways supports 3CR. Tim, um, what's your views on mandatory sentencing when it comes to young people? And can I ask as well, can you talk also a little bit about the effects these types of laws have on young people if they are subject to mandatory sentencing? Yeah, so Angus made some comments about what the court in that recent Supreme Court case thought of um, the position they were in where you've got a young person who was just over 18. And not only that, but he had, he had a number of vulnerabilities, which is not too dissimilar to the sort of client we might have. So he's, he was 18 and four weeks or something when he committed the offence. And he had a number of vulnerabilities, including um, AOD issues, quite serious mental health issues, including like suicidal ideation, that sort of thing, um, a potential uh, learning impairments um, and some other things. And what, what this mandatory sentence scheme does is it really contradicts what I said before about how it, 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 in the criminal justice system, it is well recognised and it's a primary sentencing objective and principle that we, we really prioritise rehabilitation for our youth. And where you've got a court who has an 18-year-old guy just turned 18 with all these issues and they can't prioritise rehabilitation, they're not given the opportunity at all. Uh, it just, it's just absolutely wrong um, in principle. And the court even made the comment in that, in that case, something along the lines of given his age and everything else going on for him, lack of adult, um, no adult prize, obviously, um, that it was quite likely or, or it might have been the case that this young person would have been given a non-custodial sentence such as a community corrections order. And would have and might have served no time at all if if the court could have actually made the decision and used their discretion, but instead this young person gets three years jail. And in terms of the impact that that has on someone like this, someone who is eighteen, um, only eight, only just eighteen with all these issues, well, it one really significant impact it's likely to have is the psychological damage of of spending a long period of time in an adult prison exposed to, uh, for lack of a better word, other hardened criminals or, or serious offenders. And it's, it's the opposite of rehabilitation. That, that's going to be more damaging. And, and there was comments like this in the case, that's going to be more likely more damaging and counterproductive than, um, than other rehabilitative options. But it's not just that. Like this guy is going to spend three years and he's going to get out after he's 21 
and he's got all these issues, like how is he going to be able to reintegrate into society? Um, it's just uh, beggar's belief, to be honest. Like he, he will really, really struggle when he gets out. And because of that, and because of the, the ongoing vulnerability and disadvantage he'll experience, his risk of reoffending is significantly heightened. Whereas if, if he was given the opportunity at a therapeutic non-custodial order, he might be able to rehabilitate. And actually the research, the research shows that our, our young people have a, a special or a greater ability to rehabilitate than older people. And so if, if given that opportunity, he might be able to rehabilitate and, and avoid any further involvement in the criminal justice system, but he's not given that opportunity. And, and what he is given is going to set him up for failure um, very likely, hopefully not, of course, but might likely set him up for failure in the future. Um, so that's obviously a, a very obvious flaw when it comes to mandatory sentencing, particularly when it comes to mandatory sentencing of youth, um, where rehabilitation is so critical and so important, and it, it just doesn't give the court that opportunity to give them that opportunity um, to allow that for them. Uh, but the other thing it does is uh, mandatory sentencing on top of it being particularly awful for young people is that for any age, what mandatory sentencing does is it, it in a way, treats all accused persons um, exactly the same. So it doesn't matter um, how young you are. It doesn't matter how vulnerable you are. It doesn't matter what your level of culpability is or what mitigating circumstances there are. This mandatory minimum applies to everyone. And the way that's going to play out is that it's going to inevitably disproportionately disadvantage vulnerable people in our society, uh, which is just absolutely unfair. And it goes to the point that Angus made in passing before he said that these sorts of laws like mandatory sentencing schemes or some other notable ones in, in, in recent past uh, are often as a result of as a result of public outrage uh, about certain incidents or incidents. And it's a knee-jerk reaction to, to make this new law to be really tough on crime. But it results in, in people like this 18, 18-year-old boy or young man getting this completely um, unfair outcome. Um, and, and similarly, this is going a little bit off topic, but similarly, just for our listeners, you, you might be aware of recent um, examples of this nature. For example, um, uh, the Gargasoulis incident at Burke Street Mall, just a very notable one in the last sort of few years. And so when that incident happened, that guy was on bail. And so what they what the, the lawmakers did is they significantly tightened up bail laws in, in response to the public outrage. And the issue with that is the same as the issue with this, which is that now what's happening is that um, young people, vulnerable people are much more likely to be locked up in prison and not granted bail because uh, the bail laws are so tough. And what we find is, again, it's, it's disproportionately disadvantaging um, the most vulnerable people in our society. And that's why, as I said in this case, um, there was a call for, for law reform with these sort of schemes and others. Uh, and if I could also make a, another comment about other mandatory sentencing schemes, such as that which Angus touched on about um, even mandatory license losses. Obviously, it's way less severe than a mandatory prison sentence, but there are a number of offences that we have, driving offences, where there's a minimum license loss or disqualification that the court must give. 
So if it's drink driving, dangerous driving, drug driving, whatever it is, there's, there's a minimum license loss attached. And, and the same thing is seen here, which is that any mandatory minimum, whether it's jail or otherwise, is disproportionately disadvantaging the most vulnerable because someone who is incredibly vulnerable and maybe if they lose their license, they'll lose their job. And if they lose their job, they might not have the supports in place they might have the financial backing and they might lose their housing and they might become homeless or, or whatever. Um, those that are more vulnerable are going to struggle more with a mandatory license loss, just like those that are more vulnerable will struggle more with jail time. Um, and these laws inevitably and clearly do um, have that impact. And that's why, yeah, uh, we're strong advocates for reform to those laws. And in the past, youth law have actually made submissions on reform, but obviously there's still quite a way to go. Yeah, it seems like these mandatory sentencing laws contradict the principle, this really basic principle of giving children a second chance where it's appropriate, where you can consider the circumstances circumstances of sentencing, but instead it's just slapping them with quite a significant sentence and setting them up on a path for potential reoffending, which is really unfortunate given we have a history of rehabilitation for young people that are being exposed to the system in this way or engaging in um, criminal conduct. Thank you both of you for joining us today. It was a really good discussion, really good to hear about your work and how you support young people in our community. No worries. Thanks for having us. Pleasure. Thanks, Jeremy and Indy. You've been listening to Done By Law on 3CR on 855am. It's the 16th of August and we've been your hosts, Indy and Jeremy.